issue today is what would be called the Israeli-Palestinian debate, and it is an emotionally supercharged debate. We have secular people living in Israel, Orthodox Jews, the ones that you see by the Western Wall in the news with the black hats and the curls. We have Jewish people living in other nations who have vested interests in Israel, even though they don't live there. We have Arab Muslims living in or with access to Israel. You have Arab Muslims who are living in the West Bank that do not have access to Israel. There's a wall separating them and they can't get into Israel. There are as many as 1.5 million refugees living inside the West Bank. Then we have Arab Christians living in the West Bank. And these guys have a real problem. They are persecuted by Arab Muslims. They are treated as West Bank Arabs by Israel and they're largely ignored by the rest of the Western church because they're Arabs. There are Arab Christians who live in Israel. Then there are European Christians living in Israel. Then you've got Israel's military allies like the United States and its allies who rely on Israel as a democracy in the Middle East. Then you've got Western Christianity which largely is driven by US Christianity and their eschatological beliefs affect that. everyone, welcome back uh, to the Christians in Culture podcast. Uh, this is episode 11 uh, with the fancy title of A Tale of Two Israels. So this is part one and we're going to have part two in episode 12. Uh, so my name's James, I'm the uh, one of the young adults leaders at C3 Camden, uh, along with both um, Adam and Rowan. Hey guys, good to have you with us. I'm kind of excited about this episode. Yeah. Um, some people might not be, but it's a it's a topic that actually interests me. Mm. And I've, I'm interested about this episode more because I think I don't know enough about this topic. And so I'm really keen to sort of jump into this a little bit more. So um, if you want to know a little bit more about Israel, stick about, around. About to find out. Um, so. As I said, so over this episode and over the next episode, um, we're going to be talking about um, two Israels. Two Israels. So one, oh, when you look at it, you probably go, "Well, they really don't have much in common," um, which could be other than their name. But so we're going to discuss the nation of Israel, and then we're going to be discussing Australian uh, rugby union player uh, Israel Izzy Folau, um, and really just look at those two. So it's going to be an interesting uh, two episodes um, because I think we're just going to learn a lot, but it's going to be a lot in there to challenge as well. Yeah, I hope so. So, start off with you, Rowan. What do these two topics have in common beyond their shared name? Yeah, well, that's, thanks, Jimmy. Uh, welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us for these episodes. Uh, this one and our next one. These two issues of Israel, uh, yeah, there is, there's some things that are very different about them. One, we're talking about a national identity of a people group. One, we're talking about an issue of employment and LGBT and, uh, you know, whether or not what rights people have as freedom of speech. So they seem in many ways different. And so I think that 
it was kind of when as I was preparing these episodes, I thought, well, they are two very significant issues. They both happen to say, bear the same name, but what do they have in common? And, and really, they are both examples, even though the matters of conversation are different, they are two very good examples, I believe, of my concern that a lot of Christians automatically buy into the loudest message they hear about stuff that they, and they fail to do their homework with to formulate their own reasoned opinion. I feel like we've said that a few times a few times in our podcast and really that's what we're encouraging our podcast listeners to do if you've got something to say say it do it lovingly but if you don't have something to say or you don't know it's perfectly okay to say i don't know about that topic and so encouraging you not just to say no to everything but to actually have a formed reasoned opinion and i don't think we need to say that we need to do our homework on every issue. I'm aware of that with this issue. Before we we turn on recording, I was just chatting with these guys saying, I'm aware that probably they might not have as much to say on this topic, you guys, as, as you had on others, because this is not necess- it's a bit of a different issue. Mm. Uh, the nation of Israel doesn't always hit our, our media mm. topic as yep. much as some other things. Yep. Um, and there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. Uh, for instance, with this first issue, I, I have read extensively on Israel. I've been to Israel. We take teams there. If you want to come with us, you're welcome to come with us in uh, July of next year. Just get in contact with us. We'd love to give you the details about how you could do that. We've taken uh, teams to Israel. We've looked at this issue. We've looked at. The, we've been to the Jewish Holocaust Museum and we've seen the atrocities of the Holocaust. We, we've crossed into the West Bank and we've seen things from a, a, a different perspective, from a, a Palestinian perspective. And so I've read extensively. I've watched it. I've looked at it on the ground i've seen all perspectives and i can tell you honestly that i do not know the solution i tell you that openly guys i don't know the solution it's truly complicated mm-hmm. and we cannot simplify it to a quick fix opinion from the other side of the world too many christians in my opinion when it comes to israel try to do that and we forget that this issue of israel and the west bank and palestine and all that which we'll talk about in a bit more mm-hmm. It involves real people who have real lives with real families with really strong religious convictions on all sides. Yeah. So this is not a an issue that we can just throw the Bible at or we can just throw what we think we know at. These are human rights issues. Mm-hmm. And human rights is central to the gospel. Yeah. As Christians, we cannot afford to open up our Bible and quote prophecy and mm. not do it within the context of human rights. Yeah. I hope that sort of gives a bit of perspective to beyond what you said. But Yeah, no, definitely. And I think for many of us, we probably either skip over the topics or news articles around Israel. Uh, for some of us, we might not even really see many, and particularly not even just Israel, just about the Middle East in particular. Sure. Uh, if we... If we're not researching it, if we're not regularly looking at that sort of stuff, we probably just don't even see it. Uh, especially, you know, in current media, we you get a lot of your area-centric news. The echo chamber. Yeah, and so and then, you know, if you get a lot of your news potentially off social media or things like that, or you search Google for news articles, there are algorithms behind that which gear you to see more of the same things you're searching. Mm-hmm. So, if this isn't even on your radar then you probably won't even see it. Sure, good point. So um, for us in Australia, that can it, it seems to be that we either hold a view that is we just, whatever the loudest voice, as you said, we hold that view or we just don't know. Sure. And I think that I don't know if there'll be many people in between like yourself, Rowan, who have researched it, have looked into it and actually can go, 
Um, I don't know the answer. I know all that information, but I'm still learning and still moving in that. Uh, so can you give us some background on the nation of Israel for those of us who may know nothing about the topic? Sure. Yep. I want to park that for a second because the point you made about the echo chamber and all that, Jimmy, you said you, you were saying that we only see the news that's applicable to us. And I think Jimmy's hit something there. That it's, aware, it's important to be aware that there are algorithms behind uh, behind what we see on online and uh, the Google algorithm will make sure and the Facebook algorithm will make sure that we see it works out what he thinks we want based on what we watch and it will feed us that information and in fact if you go to I subscribe to ABC News and I can select the type of story so for me I have Middle East in my news feed so mm. I get those sorts of things and the reason I'm saying that is because when it comes to all these issues that we are facing in this podcast I think it's actually helpful to, to research and deliberately look at articles and seek out articles that have an opposing view to the one that we hold. Yeah, it's really because good. Because what that will do is the will trick the algorithm into sending us information that will mm. avoid us getting into the echo chamber of hearing the same rhetoric from the same podcasts and the same articles. Yeah. And so I, I do see a lot on the Middle East because I'm interested in it. So the question was... I, uh, back to the question was a bit of history of Israel. Can yeah. I just add a scoop here, just Go in relation it. to that? Um, Hello, Jimmy. I mean, Adam, you're Adam. Hello. Jimmy's over the other I'm side of the side. Okay, so Proverbs 11, verse 12. And we've been talking about having a heart of, for others, you know, and, and going into these discussions uh, with humility and honor. And it says, He who despises his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding keeps silent. And I think that's the heart of any of our discussions is that we gain understanding and understanding is listening to both sides is you know, keeping silent when when we don't know stuff like jimmy and i we, we will model today in this podcast how to be silent and how mm. to listen because i personally don't know enough about this subject yep. to to, to honest, give a good. really good opinion about mm. it so i'll be listening to pastor ron who is who has studied these issues um and he will you know teach me just as much as he's going to teach you guys yeah well if ever there is an issue where there is sides this is it we're going to see there aren't <laughs> two sides there are probably 73 sides that's part of the complication we'll come to in a minute but a bit of history on Israel, and thanks for your honesty there. So, uh, you, re you read the New Testament, and you read the time of Jesus, and you get a picture of what the New Testament was like in the first century, what, what Israel was like in the first century. Uh, it was under Roman occupation. And uh, I guess the history lesson, I'm going to try and do the 2,000 years of Jewish history in about three minutes here, guys, so bear with me. Uh, I'm sure I'll link, miss things out, and I'll probably get things wrong, and there'll be people who write into me and say, oh, you missed that, or whatever. Mm. That's totally cool. I'm trying to cover the the main milestones. So uh, you may recall that uh, what what is it, I think it's Luke 24 called the Olivet Discourse when Jesus sat with his disciples on the Mount of Olives and they were commenting on the beauty of the the temple and how wonderful it was and Jesus sat there one afternoon and had a chat with him and said hey boys I want to tell you something he said uh, you see all those stones over there not one of those stones on that beautiful temple that you're loving will be left on another the time is coming when they will all be thrown down mm. Jesus was prophetically speaking about something that happened in 70 AD when the Romans got so fed up with the Jews who were constantly uh, rebelling against them that they eventually moved in and took over they moved in burnt sacked the temple burned down the temple and it ceased to exist uh, 
It's also worth noting that the nation of Israel at that time wasn't called the nation of Israel. Hmm. It was actually a Roman province, and there were two Roman provinces in what we would say is the modern-day nation of Israel. Uh, there was the province of Judea, which is uh, southern Israel, according to today's standards, and there was a province of, I think it was Syria, the, hmm. which... Galilee was a part of. So we have two different provinces, and we actually have a province called, uh, I think it's Transjordan or something on the, on the what is modern-day Jordan, on the eastern side of the Jordan River. So there were different Roman provinces. There was no nation of Israel hmm. per se. There was a Jewish people living in Judea. That's probably the closest thing. So the Romans came, sacked it, destroyed it, and then uh, in that was in... Uh, 70 AD, there were still pockets of Judeans and Jews holding out against the Romans until about 120, I'm off the top of my head, about 120, 130 AD, uh, Emperor Hadrian, who was the Roman emperor at the time, he continued to be fed up with the Jewish, the Jews rebelling. And so he took it a step further and he obliterated any national identity. He removed this, the nation of Judea. It was known as the, the Roman province of Judea and he renamed it the Roman province of Palestine or Palestinia, I think it was. So that's where we get the term Palestine from. And I, I believe, uh, although I've never researched it, but I've heard that, that Palestine is linked to the Philistines, okay? I, I think that's probably some, some reference there. The Philistines who way back in the Old Testament were, were the enemies of the Jews. So Palestine, so Israel from that moment on ceased to have its own identity as a nation. They were a people group with an ethnic identity, but they ceased to have any national homeland to call their own. From about 130, I think it was, AD, all the way through the next couple of thousand years. Mm. So immediately... The next major milestone in, in the history of the region that we now call uh, Israel is the Byzantine era. So after the Roman Empire became Christianized and Constantine became the first uh, Christian emperor, if you like, uh, moved his capital from Rome to Constantinople in Turkey, uh, we had the Byzantine era, which was a, an era of time where you'll see a lot of, still see a lot of Byzantine architecture throughout Turkey and Israel, beautiful architecture, uh, beautiful churches um, that was the old-fashioned, lots of uh, mosaics and all that. That's all Byzantine-era art for those that are into artistic side of things. It was the Byzantine era. It was the Christian emperor era, I suppose. That was followed by the Muslim, the first Muslim era that took place um, when, uh, when Muhammad started his Muslim faith and they, they came up through and conquered through the Arabian Peninsula and took over the nation of Israel. So it was Muslim, Islamicized, I should say. It was Islamicized for a period of time. And then we have a period in the, in the 1100, uh, 1000s, I think, at the end of the 1000s, which would be beginning of the 1100s. I always get tracked, lost track mm -hmm. on dates exactly. We had the Crusades where the European Christians from Western Europe decided that it, they needed to retake uh, Jerusalem in particular, the whole, back for the holy city, back for Christ. And so they launched their warring crusades against the Muslims and for a period of time did retake, Israel, to retake Jerusalem and held it for the Christian, quote unquote, Western Europe. That was then followed by another time when uh, the Turks uh, under uh, Suleiman, I think his name was, Suleiman the Magnificent, who uh, I think that was his name, who was a, a Turkish Muslim, retook Jerusalem for the Muslims, uh, for a different brand, the Turks. And they held that. That was from about, uh, I think, 
1400 or thereabouts off the top of my head they they held the, the turks held held the nation of Israel as a Muslim place until the late 1800s, in fact, till the early 1900s. But in the late 1800s, the Zionist movement began. And this was a group of, a group of uh, throughout Europe, European Jews, who were starting to feel a sense they want a homeland back. Mm. After two th- better part of 1800 years without a homeland, they just started to feel late 1800s they wanted a homeland. So a lot of them start to move back to Palestine and settle in, in Palestine. And then we have World War I. And the Allied troops defeated the Turks to reclaim Israel. And, uh, our, of course, our Australian history is linked up in that. The Light Horsemen and all of that is all part of what took place in World War I there. And so for the first time in hundreds of years, the West had control of, in fact, it was the British that had control of the nation of Israel. And they instituted what was called the British Mandate. Now, the British Mandate was a, a mandate that was issued that said, we believe that the Jewish people deserve to have their homeland. They deserve, to, and we will do our part. I haven't got the British Mandate in front of me, but if you're interested, you can read it online. Uh, I think it was Robert Al, uh, Richard, Allenby, General Allenby, who, who was a big part of this. And the mandate says, we determine that we will allow the Jewish people to have their homeland. <coughs> but it never really happened. Uh, even though they said that it would happen, it never really happened. And so then we get to the Holocaust in World War II, one of the greatest, greatest, one of the worst, hor- most horrible atrocities in human history, when uh, they think something like uh, you know multi millions of Jews were were uh, obviously uh, executed, along with other racial minorities, ethnic groups as well. Um, and so that caused a public outcry when they realised. The, the horrors of the atrocity. And then in May 14th, 1948, the modern state of Israel was born. No, I said I'd take three minutes. I've taken about 33 minutes, but that's all right. There's so much to say. In May 14, 1948, the modern Israel nation was born. And it was uh, issued, a, a simple decree was issued in the United Nations that says, we allocate this land to Israel. Immediately when that took place, an Arab-Israeli war ensued because there were Arabs living in Palestine at that time. And so the Arab nations that surrounded, uh, surrounded the, the modern state of Israel that would be issued, those, those nations immediately lodged a war against Israel. And if you can hear that, that's someone's siren going off outside, car alarm. And what happened, interestingly enough, is the British actually sided with the Arabs against the modern state of Israel. So they were fighting with the Arabs against Israel. These are the British people who had liberated, uh, had liberated the, the nation from Turkish rule. The USA officially stayed independent in this war. This is all post-1948, so this is four years after the end of World War II. You've got British and Americans who were allied with one another during the war, actually one fighting against the Israelis and one staying largely independent, although historically it's been shown that the Americans did side with the Israelis and, and still have largely throughout history. The end result of that, after that war, the Arab-Israeli War of 1948, was what was in, 19, in 1949 was regarded as an armistice line. They said, okay, this is, this is how far. You can look at it on a modern map and you can see this is how far, uh, this is what belongs to Israel, this is what belongs to other nations, an armistice line. And... Uh, not to mention the fact that there were all kinds of um, Arabs still living within the nation of Israel that were now displaced and so on. We've got all that kind of thing going on. And so that armistice line held in place for, uh, for about 18 years until the final 
major war that took place called the Six-Day War in June of 1967. And in that Six-Day War, uh, Israel launched preemptive strikes against uh, Syria, Jordan, and Egypt, three nations that were threatening to attack it. They went first. They launched preemptive strikes, and they actually defeated all three nations. It's a fascinating... If you're interested in military history, it's worth having a look at it. There was a new uh, documentary on Netflix called The Spy. If you're interested in this, watch the documentary on The Spy. It's about a, a Mossad agent who was an Israeli who managed to get himself very, very high up in the Syrian government and, uh, and had implications in, in what happened there. So in that six-day war, the small fledgling nation of Israel defeated three Arab nations around it. And as a result, they annexed large, what we, what we now call the Golan Heights, which is up in, in the north east of the, the uh, nation of Israel, and uh, it's north of the Sea of Galilee. They, they annexed um, the West Bank, and the old city, which was not part of their original thing, their, their original armistice line, the old city of Jerusalem, which is the center, if you like, of three main world faiths, if you like, Christianity, Islam, and Ju Judaism. And they also annexed the Ga Gaza and the Sinai Peninsula, the entire bit down the bottom of Israel, where right down between Israel and Egypt. They actually gave that back <laughs> to the the um, to the Egyptians afterwards, so that is the current state in Israel. It's been it's had a long history of occupation and um, being occupied by others, then then fighting against other mm -hmm. nations. And, and as you can see, when you're dealing with something that's got such an extensive history, you've got mm -hmm. a lot of emotion and cultural baggage that comes with that, and all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. Like, I think that. A a lot of people might have heard bits and pieces of that. And I know that myself, there'd be parts of that which I, which I knew and there'd be other parts which I wouldn't have known or even that I wouldn't even put together sure. as part of the one because you just think of them as different events. You never ever, because you, if you're not looking at the topic or you're not studying it, you're not putting your mind together and going, okay, what are all these different things and how they work together? Um, so th thanks for sharing that. So we want to look now, I suppose, going to um, modern day Israel. So what's the quote unquote big issue in Israel today? Sure. Big issue today is what would be called the Israeli-Palestinian debate. Uh, and it is an emotionally supercharged debate on multiple sides. I, I grew up in the 80s as a Gen Xer. And uh, so I had heard of the PLO. You guys might be too young to remember the PLO. Have you heard of those guys? No. Heard of Yasser Arafat? Yeah, Yasser Arafat. Yasser Arafat. Yep. Okay. So he was the head of the PLO, which is the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Now, I, I heard about this. I used to see it on Comedy Company on the television, and they were making jokes about Yasser Arafat. Mm. And, and so I grew up with it, but I had no idea. I had no frame of reference for what it meant. I didn't even know where it was mm. or anything growing up. But Yasser Arafat was the... the uh, head of the PLO, which in the 80s was a terrorist organisation. In mm. fact, if I'm right, the PLO were... I could be incorrect here, this is just off the top of my head, but the PLO, I think, were responsible for the Lockerbie plane crash in northern Scotland, which was a plane, a commercial plane that was blown up over Scotland mm. and crashed. I think the PLO... You correct me if I'm wrong. I'll, don't bother correcting me. If I'm wrong, I will know by the time this comes out. <laughs> but they were a terrorist organisation, but they later became a political party. Mm. 
And so they were later replaced by what is now called the Palestinian Authority. Yasser Arafat went from being a terrorist leader, well, he always was seen as a hero of the Palestinian people because he was a, a terrorist, but he is incredibly lauded by the Palestinian people. In fact, if you come with me to Israel, we'll go into um, Ramallah, which is the capital of Palestine, the West Bank, and they have their entire government office set up with a shrine. The first thing you see is a shrine with the tomb of Yasser Arafat, and they get, you get to take photos in front of it and everything, because he is a hero to the Palestinian people. So we have this debate between the Israels and Palestinians, but there are so many sides that bring their opinion to the fore. So I made a list. Because I said there is only, there's not two sides in this. I've made a list of the different sides that need to be, if you like, different opinions and perspectives that need to come up. We have, I'm just going to rattle them off just so you, I'll take a breath before I start, Jimmy. Ready? <laughs> we have secular people living in Israel. These are non-practicing Jewish people who are Jewish by ethnicity but not by religion. Secular Israeli people living in Israel. We have Hasidic people living in Israel. These are the the orthodox Jews, the ones that you see by the Western Wall in the news with the, the black hats and the curls and, and all that sort of stuff. The Hasidic Jewish people living in Israel. We have Jewish people living in other nations who have vested interest in Israel, even though they don't live there. We have Arab Muslims living in or with access to Israel. So the modern-day Nazareth, where Jesus was born, is predominantly an Arab town, not a Jewish town. There are mm. more, much more Arabs living there. So you've got mm. Arabs who have access to the nation of Israel who are Muslims. You have Arab Muslims who are living in the West Bank that do not have access to Israel. There's a wall separating them and they can't get into Israel. That includes refugees. And depending on who, what measure you take, there are as many as 1.5 million refugees mm. living in UN refugee camps inside the West Bank. One and a half million depending on where you go. There's a lot of refugees there. Jeez. That should I should clarify and say that not all Arabs are innocent. I'm not being totally pro-Arab here. I'm just saying there are a lot of horrible acts that continue to happen against Israelis. There are a lot of terrorist acts. Um, for instance, the Palestinian Authority that I just spoke about, they have what they call a martyrs fund. So the government, the Palestinian government, if, if, a, if a Palestinian man, for instance, or even a woman, I think, if they uh, go into Israel and blow themselves up in the process of a terrorist act against the Israeli government or against... It's, they're not usually against... In fact, they're very, very, very rarely against tourists. They always want to take out an um, Israeli uh, military, usually. They want to do that. If they blow themselves up or do a terrorist act, they are regarded as heroes by the Palestinian people and they, their family is paid an allowance for the rest of their life, a martyr's fund, because they have done what they believe is right. In the, mm. in, and a lot of that money is coming from Western money. So this is complex. Should Western support that? So we have... Arab Muslims living in the West Bank. Then we have Arab Christians living in the West Bank. In fact, this is one of my personal uh, heart. My heart goes out to these guys because the Apostle Paul says, you know, show kindness to all, especially to the household of God. Mm. There are Arab Christians living in the West Bank, and these guys have a real problem. They are persecuted by Arab Muslims. They are treated as West Bank Arabs by Israel, so that Israel doesn't look after them. And they're largely ignored by the rest of the Western church because mm. they're Arabs. Wow. So all the rhetoric we hear around pro-Israel in the Western evangelical church, they ignore the fact that there are Western, there are Arab Christians. In fact, mm. the Christian population of Bethlehem, which is in the West Bank, has diminished since the war was put there in the early 2000s, most Arab Christians have had to move away because they are completely persecuted. 
Right. So when I hear that there are Arab Christians suffering, well, that too, we've got about, that's about uh, eight on the list. But it goes on. There are more. Mm. There are Arab Christians who live in Israel. Then there are European Christians living in Israel. So there is in the Christian quarter and the, there are the Orthodox faith. So there are Europeans who are Christians of all different denominations who live in Israel. Then you've got Israel's military allies, like the United States and its allies, who rely on Israel as a democracy in the Middle East. Then you've got Western Christianity, which largely is driven by US Christianity and, affect, and, and their eschatological beliefs affect that. So they have large... This is where a lot of our listeners will probably have had any significant impact with Israel. They, if you've been in the Christian church for a while, you will have seen that there are large pockets of the Western evangelical church. They'll wave Israeli flags in church. They're pro-Israel. They're saying God is into this and, and this is all about God's plan and they're super pro-Israel. And my concern with that is that we want to claim the theology of the Bible at the expense of human rights. Mm. And that is my... As my, honestly, if I'm, if I'm honest about it, that's my major concern, is that Christians, in, in American Christians and, and Australian Christians, and a lot of this, look, hear, hear this sensitively comment, guys, Daystar Television, which is one of the primary Christian channels in Australia, many of you will, who are listening will watch Daystar Television. I'm not saying it's all bad, there's some good television programs on it, but it does hold to a very, very pro-Jewish perspective. And if you have that pro-Jewish perspective and you've researched it and you hold to it, that's okay, but just don't automatically assume it because if some of the concerns that were taking place in other nations, I, I often use the example here when I say there's one and a half million refugees living inside the West mm -hmm. Bank. If there were one and a half million refugees living in any other country, most Christian churches would have something to say about it. They would be concerned about it. Yeah. But most Christian churches don't even know there are one and a half million refugees living in the West mm. Bank because all they have heard is the fact that it's about Israel. And I love the way that the Bible Project on their justice video talk about this. They, they say that throughout history, not just the Jews, but throughout history, the oppressors become, the oppressed become the oppressors. And this isn't any way to belittle the Holocaust. It was a horrible thing. But mm. human nature is that once you get back the authority, you will impose that authority on other people. Mm. It's not to say that what the Palestinians are doing, that they're squeaky clean, they're not. Just being aware that oppressed often, when they get freedom, become the oppressors. And if it was happening, I'd like to say, if these sorts of issues were happening in Zimbabwe, for instance, like under the Mugabe regime, the Christian church would be very outspoken about it. But they don't, don't speak about it. They're all pro-Israel and, and pro the Prime Minister of Israel. But there are some fairly significant human rights issues that are happening in that nation. They may not be on a par with the Holocaust and what, and what the Nazis did to the, to the Jews, but I still think that there are some issues. They're, being, they're, they're not being allocated travel freedoms. They're not being allocated technology freedoms. They're not being allocated the same level of water freedoms. These are all issues that I think are human rights issues yeah. and are worthy of some conversation. Mm. So here's how I like to look at it. It's messy. I've just given you about 13 different sides in this equation. Here's a hypothetical thought experiment for you boys, seeing I've done all the talking. Let's suppose that the indigenous Australian population decided after 200 years plus of white colonial European rule 
that they were going to rebel against that and they were going to form their own nation. And to do so, they would claim the bottom half of Queensland and the top half of New South Wales and they would form their own state with their own rules, their own religious beliefs, their own standards and their own boundaries. How'd you like to be trying to unravel that mess? What do you guys reckon? Yeah, it's a, that's an interesting... Like, that brings it home, doesn't it? It really does put it into a perspective where we're affected by it. And I think that's one of the keys in relation to the the conflict that is in Israel and Palestine is that it's so far removed. Yes, and how a, does it affect us? Yeah. Mm. And we can talk about it later, but... Let me tell you, it does affect us. There, there are Israelis, Palestinians here yes, in Australia. There are a lot of Palestinians. And they are affected by what happens over there. Yeah. Because they have family and loved ones there. And, and the, what transpires over there actually has ramifications all around the world. Yeah. So it's one of those issues you can't put your head in the sand and just completely ignore. And it, I think it's good to have an awareness of it you're not going to be an expert about it like pastor rowan he knows so much more about it but not even close to being an expert on it i actually i'll be up front and say i haven't got a clue how to what i wouldn't even know what to do to begin to solve the mess Mm. that's Mm. right and that's where my my theology comes in adam because i i think that the scriptures would indicate that this is this is an issue that's the human heart issue that that christ alone can sort out Mm. And I think if we go, if we, let's take that thought experiment, for example. I think if that were to happen, we're in a bit of trouble because it's, because that people have felt so inclined that they've had to take that drastic action where they've felt so excluded Mm -hmm. in the rest of Australia that Mm -hmm. they've felt like, they had to have their own space yeah. where they didn't feel like this was their space, where they didn't feel like New South Wales was a state that was for them, that yeah. their, their home is their castle. Yes, that's and we, right. we, you know, there's an there's a iconic Australian movie about it and we would all hold to the, the ideal that our home is our castle and that space is we should all have our own sacred space somewhere to fit in. And when we think Even this week as we're recording this, this is... This week has been the final week when anyone's allowed to walk on Uluru, climb Uluru. Wow. So this, mm. the issue, this issue is actually current to us. Yeah, that's right. And, and we do have a lot of issues resolving this, this conflict that's been boiling under Australian uh, culture for a long mm. time. And I think there's, a, there's still a way to go. Um, and inclusive... Uh, in- inclusivity is a, is a big thing for all walks of life, be it, be it culturally or all of the other issues that we have spoken about are all issues of inclusiveness. And I think I can only speak to it as, you know, Christians. We need to be very, very mindful mm. of this idea. We need to think it through deeply. Mm. We need to pray about it. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to show mm. us how, how, do we, how do we relate how do we speak about this in a loving way that doesn't exclude people and doesn't create barriers for the gospel? Yeah. I just, I don't see how 
we could hold a stance on this issue as being a white Anglo-Christian, I don't see how I could hold a stance on this issue and be like, this is what it is. I, Because I would not know what it's like to be displaced from the place of my 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 birth let alone my cultural heritage i haven't faced that and i don't know if i ever will so i wouldn't even know understand that um so i can't then get my head around what it would be like to be in that situation where that is the case for not just one group of people or two but the list that rowan put on there's four or five different groups of people that are displaced because of this. Yes. And all of them have valid claims, mm. whether or not you agree with that or not, but in some sort of way, they all have a valid claim, even if it's just in their own their own uh, group's thought. Yes. They all have a valid claim to being there and it being their land or whatever. How do you even as a Christian here in Australia go, this is what it should be? I I know that there is how you would address the looking at it from a biblical point of view, uh, that there can be two sides to that also. Well, who knows, there could be more. Um, but I don't know if I could ever go, yep, I've got this down pat. I can I, I reckon this is what it is. I don't think I could ever get there because I don't think that I'd ever be able to get my head into a situation of what is going on there. Even in just thinking about that hypothetical thought experiment about what would happen if that, that happened in Australia, it technically still wouldn't affect me because mm. I'm not in northern New South Wales or southern Queensland. Mm. Um, so... But you very but likely I, would have Anglo's that were being displaced from yeah. that area and would want to come into southern into New South Wales. Like we are. South. Exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. so then that would be my it wouldn't be me being being displaced, it'd be people coming into my area yep. from that displacement. Yep. So then my thought would be, Okay, well then how do I best engage with them? Mm. Not necessarily the it wouldn't be me engaging with the actual displacement and that what was going on there would be actually the people that are being displaced. How yep. do I engage with them yeah, individually? And would your morality would require you to just give them some of your land? Yeah. Because I've lived here and now what mm. I've got to give up some of my land for those Northern yeah. New South Wales people who moved down. Yeah. Th- these are complex issues. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and to throw a spanner in the works, like given that this is a hypothetical exercise, mm. that nation that or that state mm. that um, is made, you're not allowed to go there. That's correct. You're not yeah. allowed to go there. You're there's not a, allowed to go there. In this case, there's a wall that separates you, so you can't get in. If there's anything that would get an Australian's back up, it's that. Mm. Yeah, not but being able to go there. Not yeah. being able to go into mm. a part yeah. of Australia because yeah. you're white. Mm. And this, you're is not so, this is so good mm. for us, this thought experiment, because it does force us to think this through. Because I have seen Christians who will f- fiercely promote that it's okay in this environment and we can just kick out the Palestinians or whatever but they're the same people who want to kick people out of their own nation yeah and oh 
uh, you can't come in here, but we want our rights. And, and, and we've said this enough times, Christianity is about giving up our rights. I'm yeah. not saying that's easy to do. I'm not saying I would find no. it easy to do, no. but I need to wrestle with that. Mm. What does it mean to truly give up my rights? Yep. So that's, that's the hypothetical example. That's mm. great thoughts on that, guys. How do we unravel that mess? So let me give you a bit of geography. I mean, you might want to pause the podcast and if you're interested in this and, and grab a Google map and have a look at this because what you'll see on the if you look at a map of Israel two things need to note you'll see lots of dotted lines on the Google map of Israel it might be easy to, to look at a, just an image in Google images but if you open up Google maps have a look you'll see lots of dotted lines the second thing is that if you go to satellite view and you try to zoom in on satellite imaging of Israel you will find at least at the time of this recording, although I do hear that it may be changing, you will find that you will have very pixelated satellite imagery. In fact, Israel has special dispensation from Google to not have high-resolution satellite imagery of their, of their nation. Hmm. So uh, you'll see how, you'll be fascinated. When you try and zoom in on the old city of Jerusalem, it's all pixelated. You can barely make it out. Hmm. They have special dispensation. Now, that, there is talk, as I've heard, that that may be lifting. Yeah. Um, but they're the only nation on the planet where that's the case. So you can't zoom in. You can zoom in on Damascus and Syria, but you can't even zoom in on Jerusalem, yeah. a Western country, if you like. So have a look at it. You'll see all these dotted lines, and that is because there is these disputed territories. The nation of Israel is the actual agreed nation of Israel is considerably smaller, and we have uh, there's three main dotted areas. If you look at the map of Israel in the top north eastern corner you'll have the Golan Heights that I've already uh, rec I've already mentioned you'll find the Sea of Galilee where Jesus walked on the water where Jesus spent most of his time and just to uh, just to the the right of that is the Golan Heights which was an area that belonged to Syria neighboring, neighboring Syria and was conquered by defeated taken by Israel in 1967 to give them a bit of a buffer between themselves and and Israel, that was their reason, and Syria, that was their reason. And then in the bottom left corner of the map, the south, the southwestern corner, you will find a tiny little dotted strip called Gaza, the Gaza Strip. Uh, this is a very small area. It's uh, incredibly tiny. In some places, it's only a few kilometers wide. And that section has been in complete lockdown since 2005. There is no imports, there is no exports, there is no movement of any kind to Egypt, Israel or by sea. So it's, it's completely, it's against the water but it's completely landlocked and waterlocked. There, the Israelis have a, a demarcation line that won't let any ships in, Israel have, have closed their border and uh, Egypt have closed their border and only very few people can get in there. Um, you, you, People with special media licenses can get passports and get in and there have a look. Mm. It's completely locked down. It's the third most overcrowded population on the planet. Sydney has 400 people per square kilometre. Gaza has 5,000 people Jeez. per square kilometre. Wow. And New York, to put it in perspective, has 6,000 people per square kilometre. And just picture New York with its high-rise buildings. Mm. Okay, so... The reason New York has 6,000 is because they, they all live on top of each other. Yeah. Gaza's barely got any high-rises at all, and it has 5,000 people. Jeez. It's, uh, it's horrible what's going on in Gaza, and they're constantly fighting against that. You, they're, they're launching rockets into Israeli territory and all sorts of stuff. I should say Israel is safe when I say this. Clarify this. A lot of people, first question people say when I say go to Israel, is it safe? Yes, it is actually very safe. It's relatively safe. It's, it's as safe as going to New York or London. And, and so on. It's on the same register as that. So that's Gaza. We've talked about 
the goal in Gaza and the West Bank, which is what you hear most often in the news, is a large dotted area. It's the shape of a kidney uh, right in the middle of Israel. And it is a section that was also conquered in 1967. And uh, now it's... Actually, so this is what the, the, the rhetoric in the news is about. You might hear people wanting a Palestinian state. They want their own nation, basically. The Palestinians are saying, we want our own nation, and we want that nation to be called Palestine, and it's what the Israelis call the West Bank. And they have their own capital city with their own government. Uh, but the Jews, on the other hand, uh, are actually infiltrating the West Bank. They build a wall around it to stop people in the West Bank getting into Israel. And they, they said they did that because of the frequent terrorism. Mm. So they wanted to keep Palestinians out of Israel. So they built a wall. Um, and now what they're doing, this is what you've probably, if you're listening to this, this is probably what you've heard in the news more than anything else, is what it's termed West Bank settlements. And this is uh, the Jewish people are building and extending their territory into Palestine, into the West Bank. They are building their own road system with walls on either side of their own road system. They're building their own compounds with houses, high-end, really nice houses. And they're actually infiltrating the West Bank with all these different areas. So if you look at a map, you will actually see that it looks like it all belongs to Palestine, but it doesn't. There is actually three different regions. They call them Area A, Area B, and Area C. <laughs> Area A, these will either be one way or the other, I think. Area A is wholly under Israeli control. There are areas where the Israelis are in control. Area B is under mixed control and Area C, the towns that are wholly under Palestinian control. And so we have these infiltrations of annexing of land, Palestinian land, by Jews. And the Jews are invited, the Israelis are encouraging Jews from anywhere on the planet who want to come to live inside the West Bank. Guys, if you're interested, you just need to be circumcised. You can get yourself some nice, really nice land. <laughs> it, it, beautiful land inside Israel. They're building it the, and they're, they're subsidizing these houses. They're getting peppercorn rent to move into these beautiful, lush houses inside the West Bank. And Jews are coming from the United States and from Europe to live there. And they're loving the lifestyle um, inside the West Bank. Now, the reason the Israelis are saying they're doing that is because they want to have a buffer between themselves and and the Arab mm. nations around them. And I understand that because without the West Bank, without, uh, without Israel being in control of the West Bank, if any Arab nation wanted to launch a fighter plane attack or mm. a missile attack against Tel Aviv, the capital of, of Israel, for instance, without the West Bank, they would have something like 30 seconds warning before they could shoot that thing out, which they had no chance. So they need this extra amount of land to provide, this is their argument anyway, to provide them with adequate protection. So you've got, I don't know what you think of that. I just think that's just really confusing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really confusing. The West Bank settlements, the Jews are very adamant about it. Uh, Donald Trump's very adamant about it. As mm. you know, John, Donald Trump moved, moved the United Nations Embassy to Jerusalem as a sign of, solidarity with the mm -hmm. Jewish people. He did that last year in May when uh, yeah. we were in Jerusalem. In fact, we, we left Jerusalem the day, the day before the official day that the embassy was moved to Jerusalem. <laughs> we wanted to get out of Jerusalem before that day. Yeah. Um, but we went into the West Bank and, you know, you've got all over Israel, you've got American flags flying, how wonderful it is. You go into the West Bank and they've got signs, they're burning signs of Donald Trump and they're saying the Americans <laughs> are this and the Americans are that. So it's it's, it's yeah. hotly... Uh, debated this topic 
And so you've got this systematic separation of roads and settlements to break up the land so that Palestinians can't even move around their own territory freely. They have regulated water supplies. The Israeli settlements have full water supplies and everything. The Palestinian settlements on the other side of the road, you can sit on one side of the road, beautiful gated communities with beautiful water tanks and an abundance of water. You go to the other side, they're paying the same local council rates and they get their water and garbage uh, is, is switched off, they don't get garbage collection. So some of what you see in the news when you see Palestinians burning their rubbish and they're all, you think they're all angry, it's because they, they don't get their rubbish collected, so they have to do something with it, so they burn it, okay? So mm. there is this dichotomy taking place. Mm. Mobile data access, only recently have they been given access to 3G. So there's 3G networks all through the place, but a Palestinian local can't get a, couldn't get a phone that would give them data. So the reason argument was they didn't want them texting each other, letting each other know when there were roadblocks and when there is sort of stuff. I think that has now changed. These settlements, the United Nations has declared illegal. New Zealand are very outspoken against them. Australia are very pro them. Australia, I think Australia is very siding with America on this. Um, and there's talk about Australia recognising uh, recognizing a move of the, the embassy to Jerusalem. The New Zealands, the, the Kiwis, I, from memory, I think are very pro that they're one of the movers for Palestine to have their own state. They're, they're speaking up for the Palestinians. Um, so anyway, that's the West Bank. It's worth doing some research. It is emotionally supercharged. And the question is, what do we do with it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, so what, like, what is the Christ-like response to this issue? Like as we went through that hypothetical before, like wh- how, how do we respond in a Christ-like way uh, to this issue? And how then do we even talk about this issue? How do we share with people about this issue? You know, when we hear about it, do we side with people? Like what is it that we can do when it comes to the whole idea of Israel and Palestine and the Jewish community there? Sure. Do you want to have a go at answering that, Jimmy? I just Adam? want to add to the question. Like, what would Jesus say? What would he do? Mm. Like, I don't know. Mm, no. Honestly, like, it's too... I haven't, I haven't sat with my Bible long enough with this question in my mind. Mm. And I think that's, a, that's probably one way to approach this question, is to sit with your Bible and see what Jesus did in the similar kind of circumstance. But yeah, look, I don't know, honestly. Good question. Well, we've touched on this a little bit in earlier episodes when we've talked about Jesus being radically political, but not in the way that we would expect him to be political. And you mentioned that as we were prepping for this episode. That is the point that Jesus had a political statement, but he he didn't engage in the politics of the world Mm. to the degree. And he was in an oppressive Roman regime, which is there is oppression all around in this mess um, from all sides. Uh, But he didn't engage in that as much as we would expect I think because Jesus understood something, and that is the condition of the human heart was the problem. The selfish, I want for me and my tribe mentality was the problem. So Jesus came to deal with that. And yep. I think that's where he would come from. So I, I say, in answer to the question, my thoughts on it is that it is completely, uh, com- it is incredibly complex. Hmm. I don't think there's an easy solution. Um, and I've given you my viewpoint, and I, I, I know this topic well enough to know that there will be people who have heard my topic and are already arguing with me in their head. They're saying, oh, Rowan, you don't know the truth. You don't know how the Palestinians have 
done this or that, mm. or you don't know how the Jews have done this or that. And, and, and you're right. I, I can't help but bring my opinion to the fore. Mm. All I am saying is that I'm aware enough to know that I don't know enough yeah. to be able to solve mm. this issue. And I don't think anybody who's proposing an easy solution is really probably researched enough. Uh, this has been the primary, one of the primary objectives of the Secretary of State of the United States for many years. Many Secretary of States have tried to negotiate hmm. uh, Middle East peace treaties, and invariably they fall down after any period of time. And I figure, I, this, is, this is my advice to any of you who are thinking you've got an answer to this that's simple. Maybe you should go and run for Secretary of State of the United States <laughs> because if you think you can answer this and and people in significant positions of political power have not been able to, then let's just not be so naive as to think it's easy. Right? Yeah, that's all I'm that's saying. Right. Let's not just be so full of ourselves that we think this is easy. So, I believe that only when the, this is where I sit. I believe that only when the church could truly image Christ do we have a hope of solving these sorts of issues, yep. whether that's. Israel Palestine or, or any or the Syrian refugee crisis or whatever only when we can image Christ my concern is I don't know that we do that that well all the time especially with our ranting and raving hmm. for me first and foremost before I deal with it at a at an ethnic Jew Gentile mentality I I think for me I at least got to filter it through the human rights issues first First and foremost, this is a human rights issue on all sides. And as Christians, we believe all people are treated with dignity. I've said this before. History has shown time and again that oppressed become the oppressors. And that's not to say that I'm slanting at the Jews in particular. It's human nature. Throughout history, Muslims have abused people. Throughout history, Christians have people in the name of Christ. have. We've talked about Christian colonization. Essentially, it's human rights issues. In the name of Christ, this has been done. Hindus have done and still doing the same thing in India. Then we've got the Uyghurs and, and the, the communist regime in China telling Muslims that they have to, they're going into what they're calling these camps in, where they're actually conditioning them to believe the political powers of China and, and de-Islamicize them. This is not an anti-Jewish issue. This is a problem with human nature. So that's where I sit on the human rights issue. With regards to my beliefs about Israel, guys, I think um, I need more study on this. I have long held to what I, what I like to call the left-behind theology, the, the, the books left behind for those Christians that have read it. I love those books. And I've long held to that biblical eschatology that's, that is very much that God has a plan for the nation of Israel. The problem that I'm seeing now is that some of what I've been taught doesn't fit the Scriptures. And so I've got to do some more study um, about this. There's, there's a theology called replacement theology, which says that the New Testament church replaces all the prophecies about Israel. In other words, everything that applied to Israel in the Old Testament is now applied to, is now applied to the church. Well, the extremes of that theology is what caused the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. so, so we can't take that to the extreme, and it leads to anti-Semitism but I still think that there are a lot of scriptures that Paul seems to indicate are talking about the nation of Israel. Mm. Uh, but when you've got Hasidic Jews who are living in Israel who will not even recognize their own nation as, as Israel because they believe that Messiah alone will give them a nation and they're living there and they won't fight for them, they won't pay taxes and they've got all these special exemptions, 
tells me how complicated it is. Mm. So all that is to say this, as we sum up. Despite the fact that I need to do more study, I believe that the Jewish people do have a right to a homeland. And the Bible seems to indicate that too. But I have to acknowledge that it's complicated. Many other ethnic groups have also been denied their rights and many that are much more recent than 1900 years ago. Yep. Okay, so if we are denying the ethnic rights of the Australian Indigenous people, mm. that's a 200-year history, we've got to be very careful to just automatically assume that a 19-year-old 1900 history supersedes that, okay? Because mm. there are a lot more people who've been living in that land for a lot longer. Mm. That You might think, well, they deserve it first because they've been waiting longer. Maybe so. Just let's make sure that we... That we before we form hard and fast opinions about this, we do our research and it's okay to say, I don't know. Yeah. I don't presume to be the one who will solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Um, pray about it because it involves people. We've been walking through, the, walking through Israel and seeing uh, the sense of freedom that the Jews have now to walk around the old city. And I think that's a wonderful thing they didn't have pre-1967. Then you walk into the West Bank and you see families living in high-rise buildings inside Bethlehem, walking through the United Nations refugee camps and seeing kids running around the streets impoverished. These are, these are families. These are kids. Just because they're Muslim predominantly doesn't mean that they're the enemy. So mm. what does it all mean, guys? It means we need to do our research and not form hard and fast opinions. Yep. I think we'll finish that one there. Um, thanks, Pastor Owen, for going through that topic uh, with a lot of clarity, but also um, very even as well. And I think that's the that's the hard part is that when topics that a lot of people might even hold saying that one side is right, it's very easy to not be able to give that even response. And I think that's what this whole podcast is doing we're trying to make sure that each time we come to a topic we try and give an even response as best as, best we, as, can. as we can aware that we will carry our biases with us but yeah, yeah. we all have some sort of bias yep. um, and what we hope to do is to at least be able to acknowledge that uh, and then try and still share both sides as even as we can so uh, thanks for listening guys um, don't forget that you can rate review subscribe and share and uh, if you've got any questions or if you've got any encouragement or anything like that, feel free to, uh, to comment as well. So thanks and we'll see you next episode for part two of A Tale of Two Israels. Right.